Very good to be out this morning. Good to be with everyone. I invite you to get your Bibles. Follow along as we open the Word of the Lord. We'll be studying here. The basis of our lesson will be taken from Ecclesiastes chapter 5 and then into chapter 6. And we'll be reading that text here momentarily, or at least the last two verses there in chapter 6. And then uh, we'll go back in further detail as we develop our lesson. And so we hope that you'll follow along and uh, open your hearts, open your minds, and be attentive to the Word of God because when you study the Bible... It's things that will help us in life and try to help us be the kind of people that we need to be. Here in Ecclesiastes chapter 6, verses 1 and 2, sort of a conclusion of what he argues here at uh, the last part of chapter 5. He says, There's an evil which I've seen under the sun, and it is common among men. And so the problem that he describes back in chapter 5 is a common problem, a common disease. It says, A man to whom God has given riches, wealth, and honor, so that he wants nothing for his soul, of all that he desires, yet God gives him not power to eat of it, but a stranger eats it. This is vanity. It is an evil affliction. That's from the King James uh, 2000 version. An evil affliction. An evil disease. Another translation so gives. A grievous disease. Another translation gives. A painful affliction. From a different version. A bad pain, yet from another version. And then from the Spanish version, una, una enfermedad maligno, a malignant disease. Oh, that's the title of our lesson. I kind of like that Spanish version. He's talking about a malignant disease. And so what is the malignant disease? Well, that's what he begins in chapter 5, verse 10. And that's, of course, where we're going to begin our study as we talk about a malignant disease. So what is this malignant disease that the writer is talking about? It's a bad attitude about money. That's the malignant disease that he described beginning in chapter 5, verse 10, and that's where we'll begin and sort of look as the writer comes along talking about this bad attitude about money. He begins there in verse 10 talking about the love of money. That's the evil disease. That's the malignant disease that he is describing here. The love of money. It says there, as we look there in chapter 5, verse 10, He that loves silver shall not be satisfied with silver, nor he that loves abundance with increase. This also is vanity. Paul says it's the love of money. Solomon, he says the love of silver. We're talking about the same thing. When you have a love of money, you have a love of silver, you have a love of, of, of an abundance of material things, it's a bad attitude. It's a malignant disease to have in one's heart. Paul says there in 1 Timothy chapter 6 that the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And so it is. There are a lot of people who do a lot of bad things for the love of money. People sell drugs. Why? For the love of money. People sometimes sell their bodies. Why? For the love of money. People steal and cheat. Why? So often for the love of money. People commit murder. Why? For the love of money. You see, it is a very malignant disease. It is an uh, evil disease, the love of money. It's kind of like you're thirsty and somebody says, Here, drink this glass of salt water. Well, it's wet going down, but you just end up even more thirsty. And that's what he says, that he that loves silver should not be satisfied with silver. 
If you have the love of money, the more money you get. You think you're being satisfied, but really you just have more thirst for the love of money. It's an evil disease. Notice what he says there in verse 11. He says, when goods increase, they are increased that eat them. So what good is there to the owners except the beholding of them with their eyes? You see, there's some things you can only use one time, at, uh, one thing at a time. For instance, well, you have the love of money, the love of abundance, the love of material things. Well, you start buying cars and trucks and vehicles and sports cars. Well, you have a whole, you build a special garage and you have ten vehicles. How many can you ride at one drive at one time? One at a time. You got a house that's got six bedrooms, six beds. You're going to use one bed at a time. You got a refrigerator, you chocolate full, chocolate full of all your favorite foods. The deep freeze full of all your favorite foods. You don't eat one meal at a time. You got a big walk-in closet, and you've got these rows of clothes that you really like. You can only wear wear one change at a time. You see, the only good is that you can just look at them. You can't really use them because you can only use things one at a time. Then notice what he says there in number twelve. <clears throat> The sleep of a laborer man is sweet, whether he's little or whether he has much. But the abundance of the rich would not allow him to sleep. So here's one that has the love of money, they have riches, and now they can't sleep. It could be because they're worrying about what they have and how to protect it so they can't sleep. Or they're up wringing their hands and figuring out how they can make more money to satisfy the love of money. So sleep is taken from them. But the labor man, the common worker, well, he done his eight hours, he goes home, relaxes, goes to bed and sleeps well at night. But not the rich. You see, it is a malignant disease. Love of money. And then notice number 13. There's a great evil which I have seen under the sun, namely riches kept by their owners to their hurt. I think of the story I read and... uh, Guinness's book of world records. You know, they got all these world records. Who does this and who does that? And who eats the most hamburgers? Who ate the most hot dogs? They had a world record of the greatest miser. This lady lived back in the 1920s. She had like $23 million. $23 million. That would be like $23 billion today. But she had $23 million. She had a nephew that got hurt real bad, had a real bad cut on his arm. And they're going to this place and trying to find a free clinic. Well, since this wasn't a free clinic, well, let's go over to this other place and see if we can find a free clinic to take care of her nephew. And because they were delaying, he wound up having his arm amputated. He had $23 million. You see, that's exactly what the wise man said. You're keeping these these uh, riches to your own hurt. In verse 14, he says, uh, but those riches are lost by a bad venture. When he began to son, there is nothing in his hand. The point is that sometimes this calamity can take everything away. I mean, you can have riches today and something happens, boom, it's all gone. I mean, there were people back before the stock market crashed in 1929. They were millionaires and they were taking a ship over to England. Stock market crashed. They couldn't, they couldn't, there was no communication. There, there was no way to get back in time and they couldn't save. They went over millionaires, they came back paupers. What's the point? 
our wealth, our wealth, our wealth, our riches can be lost momentarily. And they can all be taken away. We never know what comes. And then notice number 15 and 16. As he came forth of his mother's womb, naked shall he return uh, to go as he came, and shall take nothing from his labor which he carry away in his hands. And this also is a great evil. Just as he came, so shall he go. And what profit has he who has labored for the wind? Paul cites that idea in 1 Timothy chapter 6 also. We are born with nothing and we will leave with nothing. And so why do we just uh, covetously and uh, stingily we hold on to what we have and have this love of money and wealth and possessions because you can take nothing with you. Because as we come, we come with nothing and as we leave, we will leave with nothing. Now, it's possible we can send our treasures ahead, that is, investing in spirituals, laying up treasures in heaven, the children of God. can We can do that by investing in the kingdom of God, investing in the work of the Lord, in doing the will of the Lord. But we're not going to take anything with us. And so why should we cling to it? Kind of like the illustration I heard about how they would capture monkeys in Borneo. They would get a coconut and they would cut a hoe out of the coconut and they would have it like, you know, a chain uh, or a rope to a, to a rock, big rock, and they would put, they would put rice in there. And the monkey would put his little hand down in that hole and he'd get a big handful of that rice. Well, when you have a big handful, you can't pull your hand back out. You can let the rice go and your hand slip back out. But they'll reach down in there and get a big old handful of that rice. And here's somebody coming and they're all excited, but they're not. They won't let go of that handful of rice to save their own life. And sometimes we cling to our possessions, to our own destruction with the love of money. This malignant disease, this bad attitude of money that the wise man talks about in our text. But then he does talk about there is the right attitude about wealth. Beginning there in verses 18 through 20. Well, let me read verse 17. All his days also he eats in darkness and he has much sorrow and wrath with his sickness. See this spiritual malignancy? But then he talks about kind of the positive side. Behold, that which I have seen, it is good and fitting for one to eat and to drink and to enjoy the good of all his labor that he takes under the sun. All the days of his life which God gives him for this is his life. Every man also to whom God has given riches and wealth and has given him the power to eat it, eat of it, and to accept his lot and to rejoice in his labor. This is the gift of God. For he shall not uh, much remember the days of his life because God keeps, uh, keeps him busy with the joy of his heart. Here we have the person has the right attitude about material things. Because material things, money, money is simply an instrument a medium of exchange. And the person with the right attitude about money, not for the love of money, and greedily uh, wanting to store up money and hug it and kiss it and, and just love it to death, no, sees the money. Well, it's just an instrument for good. It's an instrument to do good things in this world. To enjoy what we have because we recognize where it comes from. I like that picture. <clears throat> it's kind of, it was an old painting. And it's a picture of an older man, a bearded man. And he's sitting at the table. And all there is on the plate is some bread. But he stops to give thanks for the bread. Because he recognizes where it comes from. 
to enjoy what, even though a very simple meal, he's there to enjoy what God has given him. And that's what the wise man's trying to tell us in these verses here, in verses 18 through 20, is to enjoy what we have, to recognize that it comes from God, that we give glory to God, we give thanks to God, we appreciate God, and we recognize it comes from God. But riches are fleeting because they can be here today and gone tomorrow. And we use as an instrument of good in the kingdom of God, in the service of the Lord. And to have the right attitude toward money. Not to be covetousness, not with the love of money in our heart, but appreciation that we use what we have, our blessings, in God's service. Yeah, that's the way it ought to be. And Then as we saw there in chapter 6, Solomon said this is a common problem. This malignant disease that he describes, this very painful affliction that people have, this sickness that people have about material things, this bad attitude about money and everything that money buys, yeah, he says it's a common problem. Kind of like common, like the common cold. It is a common problem in the world that we live in, a bad attitude about money. Well, I got thinking about this idea of a malignant disease. There's some other spiritual malignant diseases that we can talk about. Let's look at another malignant disease. Envy and jealousy. Yeah, there, there, there's a malignant disease. There's a malignancy that affects us sometimes also. Envy and jealousy. Now, what's envy and jealousy? Well, sometimes they're merely synonyms. The basic concept of envy and jealousy is uh, to be uneasy, to be uncomfortable, uh, displeased with the good of another. So here somebody comes driving up in a new vehicle, a new pickup truck. Well, the Bible commends to us to rejoice with those that do rejoice. Well, we should, we should be happy. We should be happy for those that have, you know, because they were blessed financially and capability to buy this new vehicle. Well, we should be happy for them. They're, they were happy to buy it. We should be happy for them. Now, that's what the Bible would teach us. But when envy and jealousy and we're like uncomfortable. They're driving a new vehicle and we're uncomfortable with that. Well, we better be checking into our heart. There's no room for envy. There's no room for this kind of jealousy that we are displeased about that. We have some texts that talk about this. For instance, in the book of Proverbs chapter 14 and in verse 30. In Proverbs chapter 14, notice down there in number 30. Proverbs chapter 14 and verse 30 says, A sound heart is the life of the flesh, but envy, it is the rightness of the bones. Somebody, we see somebody wearing a new dress, a new outfit, a new suit, a new change of clothes. Yeah, happy for them. Somebody's got, you know, they're sporting new jewelry. Oh, well, let's be happy for them. Somebody's got a new house. They, they've built them a new house and they're moving into a new house. Well, we should be happy for them. Not to be jealous and envious over them. No, those are bad attitudes. It will cause rottenness in the bones. In Matthew chapter 27, when Jesus is under trial, Pilate, pretty savvy, it says that he knew that for envy they had delivered him. They were envious over, over Jesus, the religious leaders. Well, why be envious about Jesus? He was always doing about good. Well, because they didn't like, because people listened to him and crowds were following him, and they were just eat up with envy. And then notice uh, over there in the book of Genesis chapter 37, 
we read about the story of Joseph and this ugly monster called Envy. In Genesis chapter 37, verse 4, it says, And when his brethren saw that their father loved him more than all his brethren, they hated him and could not speak peaceably with un- unto him. Now, why are they blaming this on Joseph? Just because dad showing him favoritism, not a good idea, but that would have been Jacob's fault. Why weren't they angry with their father? But no, they have envy toward Joseph. Because he's the one that is the, is the favorite child. But they have envy toward him. Notice there in number five. And Joseph dreamed a dream and told it to his brethren, and they hated him yet more. You see, envy so easily just slips right into this displeasure of hatred. Look there in verse 11, and his brethren envied him, but his father observed them. After telling about these stories of how they would ultimately bow to him, that's not, we're not bound to our kid brother, no way. But envy was eating them up. And so much so that they, well, they were thinking about killing him, but better sense prevailed, so they wound up taking him and selling him into slavery, as we read through the chapter. Well, then they got to tell Dad something. So they took that coat of many colors that Jacob made, and they put goat's blood, the kid's blood, all over that, and they bring it to their father. And they said, well, we find this. Do you know whose it is? Well, he recognized it. It's the coat that he had made. And look there in verse 33, in Genesis chapter 37, verse 33. And he knew it and said, it is my son's coat. An evil beast hath devoured him. Well, Jacob's thinking maybe like a lion, maybe like a tiger, maybe like a pack of wolves, some evil beast. But in fact, it was an evil beast that devoured his son. It was the evil beast of envy and jealousy. It ate up these brethren of Joseph's. It's a malignant disease, envy and jealousy. Let's be happy with what we have. Let's be happy when good things happen to somebody else that we're happy for them. Wouldn't we want somebody to be happy for us? You know, we get our, we get our new car, we get our job that we wanted, and we're happy about it. Well, don't we want other people to be happy for us? Well, yeah. Well, when that happens to somebody else, let's apply the golden rule so we'll be happy for them, not be filled with jealousy and envy. Not having this uncomfortable feeling and, and, uh, uh, this green-eyed monster called envy. Yeah, it's a malignant disease. There's another malignant disease that we might talk about, and that is the spirit of liberalism. Spiritually, that attacks people at times. Now, what do we mean by liberalism or being liberal-minded? Well, when you look at the definition of being liberal, it means to be loose or lax, not constricted or confined to the law of God. That's what I mean when I read, and we'll see some examples, of what it means to be liberal about the Word of God. Side note. You want to talk about being liberal with money? In giving? Great, great quality. Great. Be loose and lax with your wallet. Be loose and lax with your money. In giving to the work of the Lord, great, great quality. Great quality for liberalism when it comes to your money. When it comes to giving. Be Be a liberal giver. When it comes to the Word of God, let me tell you something, it's a bad attitude. It is a malignant disease. When we think that, well, that, well, 
You know, I'm not going to be constricted by what the Word of God says, and I'll just do what I want. Let me tell you something. That liberal mindset, that's a bad attitude. It's a malignant disease. Let's look at some examples of what I'm talking about. In the book of Leviticus, you've got the sons of, of Aaron, Nadab and Abihu. And in Leviticus chapter 10, notice there in those first two verses, it says, And Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, took either of them his censer, and put fire therein, and put incense thereon, and offered strange fire before the Lord, which he commanded them not. Now, they were told where to get the fire. It was from the altar burnt offering. But being liberal-minded, that we're not going to be confined, that, well, you know, fire's fire. I mean, what's the big deal? We'll just bring some fire from home, and it'll work just as well because fire's fire. When you put that incense, you know, it's going to burn, it's going to fill, and that's what we're supposed to be doing, offering incense. But that's not what God said. God told them to offer the incense, and He told them where to get the fire. But they, being liberal-minded, offered strange fire. Now, how did God feel about that? Verse 2. And there went out fire from the Lord and devoured them, and they died before the Lord. You see, when we become liberal-minded, that we're not going to be constricted or confined to what God says, and we'll just do whatever we want, or whatever we think will, will be acceptable. Well, let me tell you something, that's a, that's a malignant disease to have. Our attitude is, hey, we want to go by what God says. We want to be a people of the book. We want to do just what God says. God tells us what we need to do, and that's what we're going to go by. We want to go by this book here. We want to go by God's instructions. Nadab and Abihu, being liberal-minded, thought, well, we'll just do whatever we want in offering this uh, incense. We'll just bring strange fire. Well, it didn't work. It's a malignant disease. In Second Chronicles chapter 26... In 2 Chronicles, 2 Chronicles chapter 26, we read about King Uzziah. King. Powerful individual in the nation of, of Judah there. Powerful individual. He's king. You think, okay, well, he's, he's king. Well, he can kind of do what he wants to. Well, that's what he thought. So we pick, pick up in verse 16 of 2 Chronicles 26. But when his heart was strong... But he, uh, but when he was strong, his heart was lifted up in uh, to his destruction. For he transgressed against the Lord his God and went into the temple of the Lord to burn incense upon the altar of incense. And Azariah the priest went in after him, with him fourscore priests of the Lord that were valiant men. And they withstood Uzziah the king and said unto him, It appertaineth not unto thee, Uzziah, to burn incense unto the Lord, but to the priests, the sons of Aaron, that are consecrated to burn incense. Go out of the sanctuary, for thou hast uh, trespassed. Neither shall it be unto thine honor before the Lord. But Isaiah was angry, he was mad, and had the censer in his hand to burn incense. And while he was wroth, while he was angry with the priest, the leprosy even rose up in his forehead before the priest in the house of the Lord. Uh, from beside the incense altar. And Azariah, the chief priest, and all the priests looked upon him. Behold, he was leprous in his forehead. And they thrust him out thence. Yea, he hasted also to go out, because the Lord had smitten him. You see, Isaiah, he had that spirit of liberalism. <laughs> I, it, you know, it's for the Lord. You know, I'm going to offer incense. 
you know, I'm king and I'm going to do this. And they rebuff him and they rebuke him, but he still stubbornly, well, I'm going to do what I want to do. But it's not according to the law. The law says the sons of Aaron, the ones that are consecrated, they're doing it. No, he goes ahead and does it. He has this spirit of liberalism, going to do what he wants to do. Well, he suffers the anger of God. Leprosy starts breaking out all over him. And for the rest of his life, he was a leper. The spirit of liberalism. In the book of Acts chapter 20, got another example. In Acts chapter 20, Paul talking to the elders, the overseers of the congregation. And he says there in verses 29 and 30, For I know that after my departing shall grievous wolves enter among you, not sparing the flock. Also of your own self shall men arise speaking perverse things to draw disciples away, uh, to draw uh, away disciples after them. When you have somebody that begins to speaking perverse things, has a liberal mindset, yeah, but, you know, well, this is what the Bible says. Well, yeah, I know that's what the Bible says, says but, Blah, 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 blah. The spirit of liberalism. Not going to be constricted and confined to the Word of God to what the Bible says. It's, that's a malignant disease. And you look at the same point there in 2 Thessalonians, but same point. Another malignant disease. Being half-hearted, being half-committed. There's another malignant sickness that people have in our world. In James chapter 1 and verse 8, James says, A double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. That is somebody that's sort of half, halfway committed to the Lord. Sort of like one foot in the church and like one foot in the world. You know, sort of wavering back and forth. Unstable. A double-minded man. Literally, it means two soul Die cycles. Two souls. That is, you got a, you got a mind to want to serve God, but then you, know, you kind of got a mind to be a part of the world. No. It just brings misery. Now, the devil, he'll take half-hearted commitment, but not the Lord. It's a malignant disease. In 1 Kings, when you have the problem there with the prophets of Baal in the days of Elijah and Ahab, and Elijah, he, he confronts the people and he says, How long haul you between two opinions? Or how long haul you between two? Are you going to serve Baal or are you going to serve Jehovah? Make up your mind. Quit the fence straddling. Quit being half committed, half hearted. If God, if Jehovah is God, serve Him. If Baal is God, we'll serve Him. And then the challenge, you know, to bring fire from heaven upon the sacrifice. But the point here, don't vacillate between the two. Don't be sort of wishy-washy about all this stuff. In the book of Revelation, chapter 3, we read about the, the brethren there at Laodicea. What was the problem? This malignant disease of being lukewarm, half-hearted. It says there in Revelation, chapter 3, beginning in verse 14, the Lord says, These things saith Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I know your works, that you are neither cold nor hot. I would that you were cold or hot. So then, because you are lukewarm, neither cold nor hot, He says, I will vomit you out of my mouth. The Lord says, I'd rather you, if, if you're not going to be hot, I'd rather you just be an atheist. Just don't even make any pretense. If, if that... If that's what you're going to do, don't, this half-hearted stuff is just nauseating to me. I'd rather you just be an atheist. Just be some agnostic out here that never darkens the door. Okay, that, that would be better than being lukewarm. 
He rebukes them. He tells them to be zealous. Be on fire. Be wholehearted for the Lord. Don't be this half-hearted. Don't be this half-committed fence straddling. Be part in the church and part in the world. Make up your mind and either be in the, be in the, be in the Lord all together or just don't be anything. But being half-hearted, yeah, it's nauseating the Lord. It's a malignant disease. It's a sickness spiritually. Let me look at another one. Bitterness, a root of bitterness can well up in the heart. The Bible warns about that. Bitterness is a word that means sharply, a sharp, disagreeable taste. To be soured, to have a sour disposition. <sighs> That's a malignant disease. We read about it, for instance, in the book of Hebrews chapter 12. In Hebrews chapter 12, look down there in number 15. <clears throat> The writer says, looking diligently, lest any man fall or fail of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you, and thereby many be defiled. <clears throat> to have a bitterness in a heart. It could be different reasons. Maybe some calamity comes our way. Some problem comes our way. Some reversal comes our way. And we get bitter. We think, well, why me? Why is this happening to me? And so we have this bitterness in our heart. Something happens that, that wasn't right. Maybe some brethren, some brother, some sister does us, just does us dirty and we have these bitter, bitter feelings in our heart. Well, you can't stop what other people do. But doesn't mean you have to be bitter. Doesn't mean you have to have this sour disposition about life. We live in a world that there's problems, yeah, there's persecutions, yeah, there's troubles, there's sicknesses, there's infirmities, there's death. There's all kinds of injustices that go on in the world. I mean, just look at Jesus. If you think problems are bad, just look at Jesus and what He suffered. But don't, be, don't get bitter about things. Things happen in the world that we live in. But don't let bitterness well up in your heart. You got the, the, the case there of Simon uh, who was converted, who had been a sorcerer. And when he saw all the power that the apostles had, he wanted to buy that power to distribute these, these uh, things upon others. And uh, Peter tells him there in verse 23, For I perceive that thou art in a gall of bitterness and a bond of iniquity. You see, we can be bitter. And then I think there in the book of Proverbs, in Proverbs chapter 18. In Proverbs chapter 18, in verse 19, there's an interesting proverb here. <clears throat> in Proverbs chapter 18, look down there in number 19. <clears throat> Proverbs 18, 19, it says, A brother offended is harder to be won than a strong city, and contentions are like the bars of a castle. Sometimes people get offended. They get all bent out of shape. Something happens and they get hurt. They get their feelings hurt. And they just, that wells in their heart. And instead of just confronting it, they just let it stay there. Instead of going to the person that maybe has said something to them and getting off their chest, they just let this thing just dwell in their heart. And they become bitter. And they just have a bad attitude. Well, it's a malignant disease. If you have something you need to say, well, you need to say it. You got a problem with somebody, you just go talk to them. I was pretty clear about that. If you got a problem with somebody, just go talk to them about it. Matthew chapter 5, Matthew chapter 18, whether they did it against me or I did it against them, you just go talk to them about it. 
And get it, at least from your aspect. Maybe they won't, maybe, maybe it won't get settled, but for you it will get settled because you've gone and talked to them and get it off your chest. Don't let bitterness dwell up in your heart. It's a malignant disease. It's a sickness. And then let's look at another one. <clears throat> Compromising to the world. Moral compromise. Sometimes that happens. That's another malignant disease that we find described in the scriptures. In the book of Romans chapter 12, Paul is pretty plain about the matter of how we should live when we're in the world. He says there in Romans 12, 1 and 2, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is a reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Don't be conformed. But what happens sometimes? Well, we kind of compromise on certain issues. Certain things, no, no, well, we never do that. You know, that's just repugnant to us. Like homosexuality, lesbian. Oh, now that, boy, we never do that. Okay, problem. That might be, you never do that. But now something else, that's a moral compromise Maybe we might kind of change the standard a little bit to accommodate what we want to do. In Revelation chapter 2, you've got uh, described there the doctrine of the Nicolaitans. There in Revelation chapter 2, verse 14, it says, But I have a few things against thee, because thou hast them that hold the doctrine of Balaam, who taught Balak, uh, to cast a stumbling stone before the children of Israel, to eat things, sacrifice and idols, and to commit fornication. So has them that have the doctrine of the Nicolaitans, which things I hate. Now, exactly what was the doctrine? I don't know. But contextually, it was a doctrine of compromise. You see, that's what, that's what Balak said. If you could get the people to compromise morals by committing fornication, you're going to create a big problem for them. And so they put forth the women there, and next thing you know, the Israelites were involved in fornication and created a big problem. Why? Because God says you're not to do that. Like, flee fornication. Here they are involved in fornication. And so when we morally compromise on whatever the issue, now we might say, well, no, yeah, I never... This is interesting with the Jamaica several years ago. And you didn't say you had a boyfriend or girlfriend, you know, if you were single. Because when they say boyfriend or girlfriend, that meant like somebody lived with them, not just sort of seeing them or dating them. It was like they lived with them in fornication. And it was interesting in the Jamaican culture, if you commit fornication and you're just shacking up with somebody, that was no, that was no big deal. But now homosexuality, like that was like a taboo that nobody, you know, went along with with homosexuality to them, that was that was just just awful. That was just a terrible sin. But fornication, both of them are immoral, both of them are wrong. But they have this double standard. Like, yeah, homosexuality—that's bad. We don't we don't tolerate that here in Jamaica. We don't go along with that. But now fornication, now, it didn't matter not about that. You see, whatever the issue is, I mean, we, I think we might tell a few white lies. You know, we might be immodest. I seen something on social media. They had this guy had all these tattoos and he had all these piercings. I mean, like his whole face had metal piercings, like earrings all around his mouth. 
and it had this girl. And the caption was, what would you do if your daughter brought this guy home to your house? Now, I didn't comment about that guy because that's neither here nor there about having all those tattoos and having all those piercings. My comment was, this girl, she like, like almost exposed her whole breast with immodest apparel. I'd be, my, my point would be, I'd be talking to my dog, my dog, why are you wearing this immodest apparel? Because that's a biblical issue. That was my comment about, about that. It's like, you know, just overlook immodesty about your daughter, but then make something about wearing tattoos or having piercings. See how compromising sometimes people are. Well, it's a malignant disease. If God says this is wrong, well, it's wrong. No matter who does it. You know, call a spade a spade. If it happens to be in our family, okay, it's wrong, it's wrong. Well, don't, don't try to compromise and make it look okay if, you're, if your family's doing it or somebody that you love is doing it. If it's wrong, it's wrong. End of story. Moral compromise. Yeah, that's a malignant disease. So we talked about several diseases. But you know, we have the great physician. And that's Jesus. And we have the cure. And the cure is the gospel. That is the gospel taught, learned, and applied. That's the cure to every malignant disease that we suffer spiritually. Now, there's physical diseases, and here's treatments for this disease, here's a treatment for leukemia, and here's a treatment for flu, and here's a treatment for pneumonia, etc. Well, when we talk about spiritual diseases, yeah, we've got the doctor and we've got the cure. It's the Word of God. That's what Jesus tells us in His Word of how to cure whatever malignant disease it might be. Well, we extend the invitation of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Maybe there's one here this morning that is in the sickness of sin, that you are sin sick because you have partaken and, and well, you just, Satan has, has grips on you. And you want to get released from the grips of Satan? Okay, come to Jesus. Come by hearing about Jesus, that he's the Savior, he died on the cross, and you'll believe in him as death, burial, and resurrection, willing to repent, turn away from sin, all these things that just bring destruction. Yeah, that's a dead and straight. I'm going to leave that. I'm just going to follow in the ways of Christ and in His teaching. Be willing to confess Jesus for man and to be baptized for the remission of sins. Yeah, you can become a Christian even today. To rise to walk in newness of life, grow and be faithful is the exhortation. If we do err, come back through repentance and prayer. We're going to sing this song in encouragement. For chance, there's one that needs to obey the gospel, that needs to make things right. Anyway, anyhow, we can help. We're glad to assist while together as we stand and as we sing.